Good morning. Um, like you said, my name is Nate Spawn. Uh, many of you probably don't know me. I'm a senior nursing student at USF here in town. Um, and through uh, University of Sioux Falls Nursing, we're required to do a capstone experience is what it's called. And so some people work at local hospitals, some people go home, wherever that may be. Um, I have the opportunity this year to go to Guatemala for two weeks and um, be able to use my skills as a nurse down there um, by going <clears throat> door to door in some cases, but mainly pop-up clinics um, and just doing some like public health education stuff on mainly how to prevent diseases. Um, I know a lot of people down there struggle with uh, cleft palates. Um, I believe that uh, we're taking a plastic surgeon down there to help um, some children with that. Um, but I'll be immersed into the Spanish culture for two weeks. Um, and I just ask that you guys would um, support me primarily um, in prayer, but also if you're feeling led to support me financially. Um, my grandma uh, made a quilt and I am raffling that off, and I'll have it in the fellowship hall um, after church. And I'd love to just meet with any of you and um, tell you more about what I'm going to be doing down there. Um, and uh, I will be selling the raffle tickets and have the quilt d displayed out there. Um, but if you would like to, if you figure you have too many quilts, but let's be honest, how can you have too many quilts? Um, <laughs> so... Uh, I would just ask that if you do feel led to support me financially, but you don't want to add another quilt to the big style or big stack at home, um, that you'd contact me or Pastor Dave or Pastor Bill and figure out how we can um, line all that up. But primarily, I just ask that you pray for me, pray that I touch the lives down there and that I'm able to spread uh, the word of God, but also be able to treat um, the people I come in contact with um, in a godly way through medicine. So I thank you. And I will see you guys in the fellowship hall. Amen. All right, we're going to get into God's word here. We're going to be in First Peter, chapter uh, chapter one, verses three through nine, and then in Revelation. So, verse three says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through its tested by, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining to the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, 
and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Thanks, Wade. Have you ever thought about the fact that human beings are utterly hope-dependent creatures? You know, uh, humans need a lot of things to support life and to actually flourish. Obviously, we need oxygen. Um, we need water. We can only go without water for a couple of days and food just a matter of weeks before we die. But have you ever thought about the fact that without hope, we don't make it very long either? Uh, I want to give you sort of an extreme example of this. Uh, in, in his memoirs, Viktor Frankl, who was a Jewish psychoanalyst, psychotherapist, um, writes about his time at Auschwitz because he was um, imprisoned. He was a Jewish man. Uh, and, and he was imprisoned during the Nazi Holocaust. And, of course, he couldn't turn off his psychoanalytic brain, so he started studying all the other prisoners. And, and especially paying attention to what keeps the human spirit afloat in the midst of such incredible hardship, right? Because Auschwitz is one of the worst most brutal concentration camps. And he, he noticed that hope was a key ingredient to the prisoners surviving. Um, and it was something that all the prisoners were scared of when their friends would finally lose hope because it wouldn't take long and they would give up and, and die. But Frankel records this one event with, with a man that I think is pretty fitting here. He said this guy, one of the prisoners had a dream that the war was going to end on a specific day in March. And Frankel recorded, like, it seemed to really keep this guy buoyant. It really produced hope in him, and, and his body was resistant to the diseases in the camp because he had this dream. And he said, this, this dream's going to come true. I had this dream. The war's going to end, and we're going to be out of here. But as that day drew closer and closer, it became more and more apparent that the man's dream was not going to come true, that the war was not going to end when he thought it would. And interestingly enough, Frankel records that the, the night before his dream day, the man started running a fever. The day of his dream, he lost consciousness, and the next day he died. Human beings are utterly hope-dependent creatures. We're in the midst of a series called The Pretty Decent Church, and we're looking at things that are, that are must-haves for the church, according to the New Testament, things that Jesus wanted for his people, things that are core and central to any church. And today, we come to the critical idea of the Christian hope, that in order to be a Christian church as Jesus wants us to be, we simply must be a hope-filled church. It's got to be at the center of who we are. And fittingly, here we are one week from the beginning of Advent. Now, if you're like me, you didn't grow up paying any attention to the liturgical calendar or even knowing what any of those words are, but Advent, um, in my mind, is a beautiful time. It's a time where we remember as God's people that we are waiting for something. 
We're longing for something to happen that's, that's coming, but it hasn't happened yet. And in the meantime, while we're waiting, we suffer. People die. We, we endure hardship. There's difficult things. And so Advent pushes us into sort of two realities at the same time, into this, this joy and hope that there's, there's a bright future ahead of us, but also it allows us to embrace the current suffering that things are not as they should be. That, that this world is broken, that our bodies are broken, and that, and that for right now we struggle, but there's, there's hope out ahead of us. And Advent says you can embrace both of these things at the same time. The Christian virtue of hope actually allows us to, to say we, we can have both of these things coexisting in the Christian heart together. It sort of enlargens our heart. Um, Pastor Timothy Keller says it allows Christians to be happier and sadder both at the same time. And my guess is that for many of you here at Life Church, you need this right now. Um, Pastor Bill and I have the great privilege um, and honor of walking with you through some of your most dark days. And we don't take that lightly. That's something we, we treasure. But we know that 2018 has been a very difficult year for many of you. Many of you have lost loved ones, um, family members, uh, friends. Many of you have had incredible setbacks. Some of you are dealing with physical illnesses still in your bodies that, that are ongoing struggles. They're just very, very difficult. And hope is so important for you because it affects everything about the way you live today. You lose your hope, and it changes everything about the way you operate today. I'll give you another example, a much less extreme example from the Viktor Frankl story. Let's say we take two people, and we give them the same super tedious job. Now, I can't think of a more boring or tedious job than being one of those people out on the highway doing road construction with the sign, and one side says stop, and the other one says slow, and you just turn it every like 10 minutes. I mean, I'm thinking, wow, what a day. That, that has to be the longest eight or 12 hour shift in the history of the world. Just like, nope, turn the sign. And then nope, turn it back. And, and that's all you do. But let's say we take two people and we say, all right, you're both getting this job and um, it's gonna be a year round job. And at the end of the, we tell the first person at the end of one year, you're gonna get paid $20,000. And we tell the other person, you're gonna do this job and at the end of the year, you're gonna get paid $20 million. How is, that, how is that everyday experience going to feel for those two people? Will it be the same? No. For one person, it's going to be a total drag. Right? Every day is going to be the longest day ever. Out in the hot, baking sun. But the circumstances are the same for both people, right? The other guy that's getting paid $20 million, he's going to be whistling while he works. He's going to be dancing with the sign. This is his last year of work if he wants it to be. Right? He's going to be the most joyful person you've ever met. Now, what changed? The circumstances didn't change. His hope changed. His idea of what's coming in the future changed. And that's what we're getting at today. Because of today, you know, I, I hope your, your circumstances will change. We pray for that every week, that God would move mightily in your lives. But maybe, maybe that won't happen. What we're asking for today is that everything else would change because your hope is bolstered. Because you have a living hope, because there's something, there's a bright future ahead of you, and that causes everything about your struggles today to be different. So let's dive into our two texts. I don't often do this, but we just have to have two texts today. Uh, and that's because Revelation gives pictures to our hope, it gives it real substance. Um, and so Peter's going to kind of be the doctrine, and Revelation's going to give us that picture that we need 
to really give us a robust Christian hope. And it is better than you have imagined. So first, just a little bit of background that sort of connects these two texts. Both the text from 1 Peter and um, John's uh, book of Revelation, they're, they're both written to audiences who are suffering. Both of them are written to audiences who are suffering. Um, it, Peter's letter, it's not likely that that's written to an audience suffering under a particular Roman persecution, because there were emperor, empire-wide Roman persecutions, right? And, and Peter's not writing to people in that circumstance likely. It's likely that they're just basically religiously oppressed, um, sort of the outcasts of their region, because they have, they've rejected the religious customs and cultures of that day. So they're suffering. They're being rejected. And, and they, Peter calls it various kinds of trials, which I think would be what we are all going through, right? Various kinds of trials, lots of different kinds of things. And then Peter says, yeah, here, you need a hope. But John is writing to people who are being persecuted under an official Roman persecution. Imagine if the government you're living under says, we are now officially going to catch and kill Christians. That's what's going on in, in, in John's um, book of Revelation. The Christians were being persecuted by the emperor Domitian. It's one of the most brutal persecutions in the Roman Empire. And it's well documented that these were horrific and brutal. Um, Christians were thrown to wild beasts in the Colosseum. They were crucified by the hundreds along Roman roadsides. So you could literally walk along the road and watch Christians slowly dying. Um, they, were, they were covered in tar as they were still alive and lit as lights in the emperor's courtyard. This is what was happening in John's letter in, in Revelation, right? This is the stuff that was going on. So he knew he had to give them something to hold on to. And interestingly enough, it's equally documented about these Roman persecutions that the Christians faced them with stunning poise. I mean, it's one of the most amazing things in, throughout all the history of Christianity is how Christians went to their death, many of them singing hymns of praise. It's just stunning. So we have to ask ourselves, like, what gave them that ability to be so buoyant under such harsh circumstances, under such torture and suffering? Well, what gave them the ability in both cases, Peter's audience suffering various kinds of trials and John's audience suffering impending death, they both gave them the Christian hope, which is what we're going to look at here. Number, and now, now, I want to give you three things. As we go between these two texts, we're going to start with Peter and then move into Revelation. I want you to notice three things about the Christian hope. Number one, how do you get it? It's important for us to understand this. Number two, how do you keep it or how is it kept for you? Because the last thing we want is another hope that we can lose, right? Um, we need to keep it. That's the important thing about hope. And then finally, what's the substance of it? What really is, what really makes up the Christian hope? What are we looking forward to? Okay, so first of all, how do you get it? And this start, we'll start in verse 3 of our, our text in 1 Peter. Peter says something here that's very interesting. He says that we're born again, even that he has caused us, God has caused us to be born again into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this is not a hope that you can just sort of go out there and get when you feel like it. Like so many things in the Christian life, this is something that the Spirit does to you. The Spirit gives to you. It's part of the package of the new birth, as we read about so many times in the New Testament. So 
So the Spirit's the one that gives this hope to you, and it's, it comes as you're born again into it, right? Now, I don't, wanna, I don't have tons of time to spend on this today, but I think we can say from, I, I can say this from being part of three births of, of uh, my three biological children, that when we talk about new birth, the baby is predominantly passive in the birth process, right? All the mothers in the room say amen. Like, baby didn't do much work. All the pain and agony and sweat and work falls on the part of the mother. So we're given new birth, but the situation is exactly the same for us with Jesus. We're given birth through the work of Jesus, through his death and resurrection. He took all the sweat, all the blood, all the pain was on him to give us this new birth. It came through. We were born into it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It all fell on him. And before his resurrection, you have to realize this, we were hopeless. We were hopeless. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Before Jesus raised from the dead, the Apostle Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 15. One of my favorite passages, he says, look, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then we're still in our sins. Your faith is in vain. And Christians above all people are most to be pitied. Paul says that. He's like, look, if Jesus isn't raised, let's give this thing up and let's go get drunk. It's basically what he says. He's like, this is pointless. If, if, if the truth is when you die, you rot, then life is meaningless. It's pointless. Then let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if the resurrection did happen, that's a game changer. That changes everything. Then we have a living hope. Then we have something real to hold on to. Then we have someone out there who has conquered death for us that gives us an assurance as well. The Heidelberg Catechism talks about this assurance. It says, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge of our own blessed resurrection. So it's kind of the first fruits. It's kind of a down payment. When Jesus came up out of the grave, it said to each one of us, as you put faith in me, you too will follow suit. You also can hope that death is not the end. It's not the final word in your life. You, your life will live on. John Chow, our brother, he is not dead forever. As the Bible would say, he's asleep. He is awaiting the resurrection. Do you believe that? If you believe that, everything in this life matters immensely. If you believe that, you have a living hope. Now, I'll also say this about this metaphor of the new birth that Peter uses here. It suggests that to be a Christian means you get a hope-filled lens through which you look at all of life, right? Just as a baby is born, opens his eyes for the first time, and it sees a totally new world, right? I mean, that's, a, that's a crazy moment for a baby. Everything's been totally dark. That's, the womb has been their world all along. And then they open their eyes, and it's just so bright, and they're just like, wow, what is this cold, bright world? It means getting a whole new lens at which you see everything, including your own suffering. To be born again into a living hope means you see even your own suffering different. And Peter points this out in verse 6. He says, even our trials don't look the same, right? They're not, they're not just pointless struggles in the midst of a, a long and difficult, arduous life. Now our trials actually have a purpose. It doesn't make our trials a good thing. It doesn't make the evil that happens to us a good thing. But God uses those difficult, evil things in our lives, those trials, to produce something beautiful. He, he uses the imagery of it's like gold refined by fire. 
So now even our trials, even the most difficult things in our lives are used for good, and, and that's because we have a living hope. And you know this if you've ever been around Christians that have suffered really deeply. I've just been around a few Christians in my life that I know, wow, they have really been through a lot. And have you ever noticed there's just kind of a quiet confidence about them? There's just kind of like an inner peace that they carry, a depth of relationship with the Lord that you just can't get at unless you go through that with him. Right? You might say, well, how does this happen? Well, it's pretty simple how suffering does this to us because suffering is just the stripping away of everything else we, we love and, and hope in, right? Relationships and, and possessions and careers and health. And when those things are gone, it forces us internally to grab a hold of that which can never be taken. It forces us to lock into that. So Christians, by suffering, are actually driven deeper into the source of our hope because that's the one thing that can't be taken. It's like Jack prayed today. And we're going to get there in just a few minutes. So we see how we get it. We get it by the Spirit. It's a new birth thing. You can't just go out there and, and buy the living hope. It's something that the Spirit has to do in you. It gives you birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, how is it kept for you? How do you keep it? Last thing we want is another hope that can be taken from us, right? We don't need that. We need something that's solid, that's concrete, that's lasting. And Peter's already addressing this for us. It's like he knows his readers' minds. He knows that they've suffered the loss of a lot of things. And so he says, this hope is a living hope. It's an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade, and it's kept. Someone's keeping it for you, right? It's not something that you have to white-knuckle and hold on to for the rest of your life, but it's something that's kept. So first, let's talk about this. It's living. It's living. It's not a, it's not a regular hope. It's actually alive, and we've seen why it's alive. It's alive because Jesus is alive, right? It's all bound up in him. Our hope is completely resting on the one who conquered death for us, right? And I would ask you, is there a safer place for you to build all of your life's hopes than on the one who walked out of his own tomb? Is there a safer place? You have to ask yourself, what am I really hoping in? What, when I look down the hallway of my life, what am I really looking forward to? And is that safer than Jesus? I mean, you realize that most of American culture builds their whole life around the hope that someday I'll get to retire from my job and go lay on a beach and drink little drinks with straws in them. Like we really do, we build, if we're really honest, we save up, we do all this work so that we can live a little piece of our life at the end and finally be really happy. And many people never even get there. We build our whole life around that. Is that more stable than Jesus, the one who raised from the dead and promises us that we will too, as we put our faith and our trust in him? I'm going with the guy that walked out of his tomb. Now, not only is it kept for you because Jesus is living, it's also a hope that can't perish, spoil, or fade. Um, I call these hope-so kind of hopes. You know, and somebody's guarding it for you on top of that. I think that's really comforting because this is really what sets the Christian hope apart from every other hope. Everybody needs hope, Christian or not, totally pagan or not. You have hope in something. But what sets the Christian hope apart is it literally cannot be taken from you. It's bulletproof. It can't be taken from you. It's the one thing that can't be taken from you. Everything else that we would hope in, that humans would hope in, can be taken. And it's not wrong to hope in some things, right? Um, to hope in getting an A in the class, getting a new job, um, moving to a different place, 
uh, having kids, having the kids move out. All those things are things that we hope in, right? Someday that these things might happen and, and we, can, we can have some sort of view of the future that says, oh, that might be nice eventually to have those things happen. But don't build your life upon those things. Don't build your life upon those things because those things might never happen. You might never get there. So it's important that we don't have a hope-so hope. Um, and when we use that word, you know, I hope so, I hope I get an A, or I hope, I, um, I hope the Vikings win the Super Bowl, those things are very, very flimsy things. Those are, those are hope-so kind of hopes. The word Peter uses here is actually very close to our English word expectation. He's talking about something we have a concrete, solid expectation that this is going to happen. It's not just like, oh, I hope this happens. Because that, oh, I just hope so, that's not going to do it for you. That's not going to produce this ability to be buoyant underneath suffering. It has to be a concrete, solid expectation that there's good in your future. And this is where our hope ought to be. It's kept for you. It can't be taken from you. It won't be destroyed. It can't perish, spoil, or fade. Now, what is it? What's the substance of it? This is what we need today. I would encourage you, friends, memorize this passage in Revelation. Put this up on your refrigerator. This is what is supposed to sustain us. This is where Christians have always been future-oriented people, people looking forward to something. If anything will do it, it's this picture right here we're about to read. And so we switch over to Revelation here because Peter kind of tails off here just saying, like, look, this hope that you have, this living hope, it's, it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's kept in heaven for you until the last time. Which I think, growing up, to be honest, I, I, I was raised with this idea um, that the good news is when you die, you go to heaven. And that's some sort of spirit place. And it's sort of an eternal long worship set. Now, I love our worship team, right? And I love coming in here and singing songs. But number one, I can't play any instruments. Number two, I suck at singing. And so as a kid, I'm like, boy, that's going to be a long time. But the alternative isn't great, so I think I'll take heaven over the other thing. But, but I really wasn't looking forward to the hope that is set out for us. Because I just, I didn't know what it was like to be a spirit and just float off somewhere. And what exactly are we going to be at that point? And it turns out, as we read the Bible, that our hope is actually much different than what I thought. It's actually much better. And John gives his audience a vivid picture here at the end of Revelation because this is what would be needed to sustain them as they watch their loved ones die. This is what would sustain them as they, as they were being nailed to the cross, as they were being burned at the stake. This is what would hold them. And from everything we read in church history, guess what? What John gave them worked. It worked. They actually were able to endure. They were actually able to die with such stunning poise that it put the world on notice. It worked. Tertullian, the church father, said the blood of the martyrs is like seed. So these Christians were giving their lives for the gospel, and it just kept spreading and spreading. The more they tried to snuff it out, the more it just spread. And no doubt this picture that John gives them is what gave them the hope to endure. So let's look at it. What's the substance of the Christian hope? Well, like Peter said, it's only revealed at the last time. And that means this. Our hope is not fully realized in dying. And I, I, I'm sorry if this kind of tramples on some of your Christian belief, but we teach wrong about this a lot of times, especially at funerals. We say so-and-so has gone home, 
And um, it's accurate to say so-and-so has gone to be with the Lord. The Bible says to be apart from the body is to be with the Lord, which is better, according to Paul, right? But we are not home when we die. I buried my grandmother um, in September, 97 years old. She lived through the Holocaust, hid Jews, incredible life, incredible story. Um, but she is not home because we put her body in the ground. We, I was there. And her body is not raised yet. So she is not fully who God means for her to be until the last day when Jesus comes back to raise our bodies. She's kept safe. She's with the Lord for now. But she too, this Advent, is longing with us for the return of, of the King, for Jesus to come back. She's longing for it just like we are. She's wanting that last day when Jesus will come back, raise us from the dead, judges the earth, and puts everything right. And that's what both Peter and John are talking about here. They're talking about that time. And look at the imagery here that Wade read for us. What a rich inheritance awaits for us. I want you to notice a couple of things about it as we go through it. I don't have time to cover it all. But look at verse 2. This, this will change your mindset about floating off somewhere. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Number one, our inheritance is coming down. You're not going up. It's coming down. It's coming down. You know, uh, we're not going to drift off into the spirit realm as the Greeks taught. That's a Greek idea. It's a pagan idea that our spirit would finally be freed from our bodies and we'd live in a bodiless eternity. That's not Christian thought. That's not Christian thought. We're not headed for an eternal mind meld. We're not, we're not going to float six inches above the ground. We are headed for a bodily eternity in which we hug and laugh and run and work and play and praise God eat what did Jesus do when he rose from the dead he ate a fish he's like I'm not a ghost I can eat and that's going to be us in the new kingdom we're going to eat together we're going to enjoy every good thing as God puts the world and our bodies back to the way they were meant to be that's the first thing it's coming down we're not going up verse 3 God will be with us. Look at this. This is the center of the good news. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Don't trivialize this, friends. This is not a Sunday school answer. God will be with us. Even as we see each other, we will see God. That is the center of of the good news. That's what makes the new heavens and the new earth so fantastic. Because here's the thing, friends. You and I, we've tasted of it. If you, if you are a Christian and the Holy Spirit has filled you and you know Jesus, you've tasted of what it's like to have your relationship with God restored. But you are not fully there yet. You're not fully home. You realize that? Like you were created for God to walk with him and talk with him and see him. And you've never done it. You know, you might say, like, oh, I was born for this. Like, the first time I caught a walleye or made a three-pointer, I said, I was born to do this. But no, I wasn't. I wasn't born for that. I was born, I was made for God. And I've never really fully experienced that. I've tasted it, tasted it through the Holy Spirit, but never really fully experienced what it's like to see God, the one we were made for, and to have him see us and know him fully as we are known. Paul says we see as in a mirror dimly. We just have this dim view of it now. But someday, this day, we'll see fully. It'll be clear. 
I love the words of St. Anselm in his Proslogion. He writes this. I ran into this writing in seminary, and it just it's a great Advent text because it's just filled with longing and just earnest desire. But listen to what Anselm said. He, he wrote this in the 11th century. Such honest words. He says, Lord, you are my God and you are my Lord, and never have I seen you. It is you that has made me and has made me anew and has bestowed upon me all the blessings I enjoy, and not yet do I know you. Finally, I was created to see you, and not yet have I done that for which I was made. It's one of the church fathers just saying, like, I, I still just long, I still just ache, and that's what Advent's all about. Like, I'm aching because I, I still am, am not home. But this moment, on this day, we will be home in every way, physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, completely home, completely where we were meant to be. And until then, we'll ache. But I guarantee you that dull ache in every single one of us is this. We want to know God because that's what we are made for. Imagine what it'll be like when our faith will be sight. Everything will be put back to the, to the way it's supposed to be. And remember, when our relationship with God is restored, every other relationship will be restored as well. It's like the reverse of Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve's relationship with God broke and fractured, every other relationship broke and fractured as well. And the relationship with creation did as well. But here, as our relationship with God is renewed and comes back together, so will every other relationship. So will our, our harmony with all of creation. You know, Paul says in Romans 8, all of creation waits in eager expectation for this moment when the sons and daughters of God are revealed. That's the second thing. God will be with us. And then finally, verse 4. This is good news, people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I don't need to tell some of you in here how good of news this is. You've felt the sting of death. Um, some of you have mourned a lot this past year, have cried a lot this past year. And, and God himself says... This is supposed to comfort us. This has comforted people ever from the, the, from the first century. And Christians have put this into song. The slaves in America, they hung on to these words. It's what gave them strength in the midst of all their suffering and injustice. That someday God was going to come back. He was going to put everything right. And he himself, look at how personal the language is. He himself is going to wipe away every tear. Every tear. There'll be no more death. I mean, one of the things that we want so badly as humans, like when we love our family or our kids or our best friends, we want those good relationships, but we want them to last. Have you ever been so happy in a moment and you're just like, ah, I just want to capture this? I have that with my kids sometimes, right? They're just so happy and I'm so happy. And then I do the dumbest thing. I try to capture it by getting out my phone. And it ruins the whole thing. But the, the longing in me is that I, I want to stay here. I, wanna, I want this moment to last. We don't just want good relationships. We want them to last forever. God says, I'm going to make that possible because I'm going to take death out of the equation. Not only will you be joyful, but you'll be joyful forever. Not only will you have great relationships fully restored, they'll last this time. You won't have to say goodbye anymore. This is good news, friends. This is the substance of the Christian hope. Now, it's far better than most of us were told, but here's the key ingredient. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Is it real to you? See, because if it is... It'll change everything about the way you live life today. It's better than getting a $20 million a year job. Way better. 
but it will change literally everything about the way you live today. But if this is sort of just a pie in the sky, I hope so kind of thing, it's not going to do it. It's not going to have the effect that it's supposed to have. And I believe it's possible for Christians and even whole churches to believe in this hope doctrinally and never really activate it, never really build their lives upon it. I think Life Church is moving in this direction. We've gotten better at it over the years, but I want to give us a couple of practical ways that we can work at building this into our lives so that we are a more hope-filled church. Number one, I want us to pray for faith. As you can hear, um, we, none of the things that I've preached about today, the resurrection of Jesus, the new heavens and new earth, none of that can be proven empirically. Nobody's going to come to you and say, here's scientific evidence that all this has happened and is going to happen. And so uh, we're going to have to believe this by faith, right? And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He works faith into our hearts. That's how we access it. But I would also encourage you, uh, beyond praying for faith to believe this, start exercising your faith. One of the best ways to exercise it is by sharing it. Um, In our D group, we always challenge each other to be sharing our faith or looking for opportunities to share the good news about Jesus. If you really don't believe the good news, you won't share it. I know it's still hard to share it, still a little bit intimidating. The enemy's coming against you and those things. But if you believe this, how can you hoard it? I mean, if you, how are you going to keep this to yourself? Come on, that's selfish. If we really believe this is the, this good news, that God has this future and he's made this available to everybody, how can, we, how can we keep it to ourselves? So exercise your faith. Don't just pray about it, but exercise it. Number two, encourage one another regularly in the hope of the resurrection to come. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18 tells us of this hope of resurrection and says, hey, you should encourage each other with these words. So when you gather together, um, times like these or at the table or just when you get together throughout the week, don't miss an opportunity when you pray for a meal. Hey, won't this be great when we're eating in the kingdom of God? Don't miss an opportunity. Hey, let's just, hey, I I just can't wait until uh, the suffering in our bodies is over and, and God gives us our glorified bodies. Or just, just encourage each other with the words of, of revelation. Regularly, I think we miss that entirely, just the opportunity to encourage one another. Third, watch what your heart is hoping in. Um, this is going to take some accountability because it happens. We just, we just get off track and we start hoping in other things. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It's really weird how we do this, but we, we get our hopes set on the dumbest things. I mean, honestly. If you just look at it, it's like, wow, that was really dumb. And we need each other to say, hey, it seems like you're putting a lot of your hope, you're building a lot of your life on that thing. And to be honest, that thing is not stable. That's a flimsy hope-so-hope. Don't do that. Like, let's put our hope on God. Let's put our hope on the, good, the resurrection to come. Then fourth and finally, let's begin doing the work of the new kingdom now. This creates in us a future-oriented people. Um, C.S. Lewis said, the Christians who have done the most for this present world are precisely the ones who thought most of the next. Do you think that old saying, those who, you know, you're too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good, that's actually not possible. You think most about the new heavens and the new earth, you're going to work your tail off to make this world like the one that's coming. And we get to start doing the work of, that God's going to do now because he's just going to continue in doing what's left over. right? But we get to start working at that now. 
I love what N.T. Wright says. He says, doing God's kingdom work, and I'll close with this, has come to be known in Judaism as tikkum olam, or repairing the world. This Hebrew phrase is a close cousin to the ancient beliefs embraced by Jesus and his followers. Wright goes on to say, the point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly or more bearable until the day when we leave it all behind, as the song so mistakenly puts it. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. Dear friends, brothers and sisters, I pray that when Jesus comes back to raise our bodies, to renew the world, to restore us to our Father fully and completely, I pray that he finds us filled with hope, waiting expectantly, and working to renew the world in the meantime. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good news today. We thank you that our suffering will not be the end of the story. We thank you, Lord, that even death has no grip on us because you have conquered death through your resurrection and you have guaranteed for us you have an inheritance that, is never, that can never perish, spoil, or fade and you're keeping it for us until that last day. And right now we long for that, Lord Jesus. We ache for that, especially those of us who are really struggling right now. We're just aching for that time, for everything to be put right, for your justice to come, for you to reign as king on the earth again. But, Lord, we're also aware there are many people that have not heard about you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would come and do this work in us. Give us opportunity to share that good news with others um, and to do your good work of renewing the earth while we wait. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Thanks. If that's the first time that you've ever heard this idea, or you're trying to wrap your mind around the idea that Jesus Christ wants a relationship with you personally, that he lived and he died and he rose again, and he's longing to be known by you and to know you. Well, actually, the word of God says he already knows you. Before a word is on your tongue, before a thought is in your heart and mind, he knows what this is. He sees the troubles. He sees the trials. He sees the things that you're walking through. And his desire is to walk with you, to bring hope to you. And if this is an idea that's new or you want to just talk to somebody about it, meet with us, the prayer team, or just somebody in the foyer and ask them, you know, how do you maintain your hope. What, what do you do? And one of the things in my life that has really built that hope and strengthened it is to pray with someone, to hear them speak the words and the promises of God over my own heart and my, the hearts of my children, and to do the same for them. That has grounded it into my heart and into my life. And so if you just want to talk to somebody about how can you do that or who can I talk to, come and, and visit with us. Thank you. Um, they're going to sing one more song and you're dismissed. <laughs>